My talk tonight is about real needs versus desires. And, and even before I begin that, I want to go back to what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was the idea, the spiritual ideal of sacrifice. I, I was surprised when I gave this talk and then there were, um, it got taken in all kinds of other directions in the discussion, which sometimes happens. Um, and, you know, imposing sacrifices on others and, and self-harm and all kinds of things like this. So I, I just wanted to go back and, and say about sacrifice for a minute. First of all, it, it has to come from within, you know. Um, I mean, anything that's along the lines of you need to sacrifice, like that that's going to be manipulative in some way. It really comes from a place of abundance, from a self-love and abundance, you know, and this this realization of, you know, I have this richness and I'm going to give from this richness, you know. And and I, I think a useful way to think about sacrifice is when we do a 40-minute silent sit here, we're doing a sacrifice. You know, we're, we're you know, and even by coming to this sangha, you're, you're sacrificing what else you might have done with your evening, you know. But it's not, it's not necessarily miserable, you know, we have in this we hear the word sacrifice and we think that it's grueling and torture and all that, you know. Um, a well-chosen sacrifice is often very fulfilling, you know. And and my hope is that everyone is is coming here and finding some kind of fulfillment in their, their silent sit, you know. So to talk about needs... So much to say about needs, you know. Um, first of all, just physical needs, you know, obviously we need to, to breathe and sleep and eat. But it's very funny if you consider the, the need to eat. Yes, we need to eat, absolutely. But if you think about the way we are, you know, I want this salad dressing with, you know, this particular dressing and I want this particular additive in my salad and I want this and that and that and I want it this way, you know. And it's, it's funny, you know, I think it can be hard to look at the ways that sometimes we're all a bit of a prima donna as far as mm-hmm. how special we want things, you know. And, you know, it, it's interesting just to look at that and just to look at those, those habits a little bit. Yes, we need, you know, we absolutely need to eat. How attached am I to any particular pattern I have, you know? Some people always need to try something new. Other people always need to have the same thing, you know? What would it be to to choose against type for once? You know, how would that feel, you know? And so just something to explore there with eating even. And eating is also very interesting because, and this is something I've talked about before, hunger is innate. No one teaches us hunger. We know hunger. We know it immediately. And this, especially if we've been without food for a little while, hunger is a loud, unignorable signal in our body. You know, nobody needs any special training to feel hunger. But satiety is very subtle. Satiety, the feeling of having just enough. You know, it's so easy to blow past that, you know, especially if we're you know, the food is good or you're talking with friends or whatever, it's very easy to blow right past satiety and suddenly now I'm way over full, like that kind of thing. Um, Sensing satiety is, it's a real art in some ways. You know, the 
the few times that I've really been able to to do it, I find it's the kind of thing where it starts out as a very subtle feeling while I'm eating and I, I stop eating and then as I sit with it, then it gets louder and it's like, okay, I stopped at the right place kind of thing. Um, but it really takes, it takes tremendous self-awareness and perception to practice satiety. And so hunger is innate, satiety is learned, and, and it's really a skill that needs to be practiced. Um, and in many ways, that is a model for so many of our other needs, even our emotional needs, you know. We're all keenly aware when we're not getting enough attention, approval, acceptance, you know, things like this. Are we aware when we're getting enough? Are we aware when we're getting too much, you know? Now, attention is, is particularly interesting. I, I always like to say attention is the currency of the psyche. Um, there are so many ways that, that people cry out for attention. You know, all, all of drama is really a kind of, a, you know, attention-getting thing. Um, Needy behavior is also a kind of attention-getting thing. You know, I want to hook you in a certain way and, and, you know, suck energy from you a certain way, this kind of thing. The, uh, the psychologist uh, John Bowlby, who, who was really one of the pioneers in attachment theory, said quite simply, we're as needy as our unmet needs, you know. And as I've gotten older, I've really found that the more I pay attention to myself, the more I attend to myself, the less I find myself needing attention from the outside. And I think it's similar with the more I approve of myself, the more I accept myself, you know. If I really approve of myself, then I don't, I don't crave approval from the outside, this sort of thing. And so it's, it's a very, it's an interesting question. How do we distinguish our real needs from all the, you know, the fantasies and desires that are placed on top of our needs, you know? And I think a lot of it has to do with boundaries and just knowing our boundaries. Um, I should say also, sometimes a real need of ours, a real need is to say no to say no to uh, to participating in a certain kind of energy or a particip- certain kind of conversation. You know, and it's, uh, it's always an important question. You know, how strong is your yes? How strong is your no? Do you believe in your no? You know. So a lot about about finding real needs and separating real needs from more, you know, imagined needs, fantasized needs. A lot of it is just about simplifying. You know, simplifying, slowing down, being more aware, being more attuned to oneself. Um, 
I find that there's many times in life where my, you know, upstairs, my head, my will be going, oh, yeah, yeah, I want that. Certainly I want that. I want that. But then when I check in with my core, it's like, no, I don't really want that, you know. And it's often a, a quieter place of knowing in the core that really knows what we need, you know. And it, it's, it's so much about trusting that and, you know, quieting enough to hear it and then trusting it. Because the more we trust, the more of a relationship we have with it. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the, the Zoomies. We'll pass one pile around this way. So the first quote is from one of my favorite writers, Mengzi or Mencius. Uh, Mencius is he's sometimes known as the in China as the second sage. He's uh, second only to Confucius in the Confucian tradition. He's really the man who added a, a heart quality to the entire Confucian tradition. And he said quite simply, "The Tao is near, but people seek for it far away." What needs to be done in life is easy, but people seek for it in what is difficult. From the Midrash, God always provides what we need, but we must be ready to open our eyes and see it. A wonderful one from Kabir. I felt the need of a great pilgrimage, so I sat still for three days. A famous line from William Blake, he who binds himself to joy does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Mm -hmm. From Ramana Maharshi, happiness is, is your nature. It is not wrong to desire it. It is wrong seeking it outside when it is inside. Gilio Gibran said, Desire is half of life, indifference is half of death. You know, just this kind of honoring of the energy of desire, even if we're not running after everything we desire. Um, I already quoted the Bulby. Anthony Bloom said, if you watch your life carefully, you will discover quite soon that we hardly ever live from outward. Instead, we respond to incitement, to excitement. In other words, we live by reflection, by reaction, We're completely empty. We do not act from within ourselves, but accept as our life, a life which is actually fed in from the outside. We're used to things happening which compel us to do other things. How seldom can we live simply by means of depth and the richness we assume that there is within ourselves? From Thomas Merton, when we live superficially, 
when we are always outside of ourselves, we are never quite with ourselves, always divided and pulled in many directions. We find ourselves doing many things we really do not want to do, saying things we do not really mean, needing things that we do not need, exhausting ourselves for what we secretly realize to be worthless and without meaning in our lives. <coughs> Alan Watts said, This is what Zen means by being detached, not without emotion or feeling, but by being one in whom feeling is not sticky or blocked and through whom the experience of the world passes like the reflection of birds flying over water. The Dalai Lama says, if one's life is simple, contentment has to come. Simplicity is extremely important for happiness. Having few desires, feeling satisfied with what you have is very vital. Satisfaction with just enough food, clothing, shelter to protect yourself from the elements. And finally, there is an intense delight in abandoning faulty states of mind and in cultivating helpful ones in meditation. Pema Chodron says, quite simply, we already have everything we need. Bernie Glassman says, our tendency in life is to avoid things that frighten us, but in order to become whole, we need to go deeper and deeper into, the, into ourselves by reaching further and further into the things we fear. Deepak Chopra said, to make the right choices in life, you have to get in touch with your soul. To do this, you need to experience solitude, which most people are afraid of, because in silence, you hear the truth and know the solutions, including hearing the truth that you don't always want to hear. Greg Anderson said, when we are motivated by goals that have deep meaning, by dreams that need completion, by pure love that needs expressing, then we truly live. Sharon Salzberg says, mindfulness helps us to get better at seeing the difference between what's happening and the stories we tell ourselves about what's happening, stories that get in the way of direct experience. Such stories treat a fleeting state of mind as if it were an entire and permanent self. Tom Bodert says, they say a person needs just three things to be truly happy in this world. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. David White said, People offer you the help you need, something that is impossible for you to do yourself, and you take it as an injury to your character and your ability instead of saying, thank you, I really needed that. I'll tell you a great micro-discipline every day to think of something and someone whereby you need to ask for some real help. Mark Coleman says, Nature teaches us simplicity and contentment because in its presence, we really need very little to be happy. The late John O'Donoghue said, In each person there's a point of absolute non-connection with everything and everyone else. This is fascinating and frightening. It means that we cannot continue to seek outside of ourselves for the things we need from within. The blessing for which you hunger are not to be found in other people or places. These gifts can only be given to you by yourself. They are at home at the hearth of your soul. And then finally, a few from Brene Brown. Compassionate people ask for what they need. They say no when they need to, and when they say yes, they mean it. They're compassionate because their boundaries keep them out of resentment. She also said, 
A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we are meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. 